Okay, freaks, this is the guide to your psychopath. This podcast is not about me telling you how you're fucked up. I'm here to learn about your past and how it affects your decision making. I've been studying people for a long time now, but I've never asked them how their mind goes through the process. I want to read your guide. I want to know how you think and feel. This will not be edited to take snippets out of context, but I believe everybody will benefit from hearing all of the conversation. Learning your guide will make it better for me to understand you. Welcome to the Guide to Your Psychopath. This is episode one. And for episode one, I wanted to use this time to talk about myself. Because in order for me to lead by example, I really believe that uh, episode one uh, should be about myself. So today we're going to talk about me. Uh, the way my past and uh, how I think. And so in order for us to start this, we would have to start this from the beginning. Uh, My father was an immigrant from Mexico. Uh, My mother was an immigrant from Mexico. And uh, from what I know, uh, they met in El Monte. And uh, they never married, but... Uh, I was uh, born in uh, Los Angeles and some of my earliest memories so we have uh, I have two houses that I that I remember and I don't remember which came first but uh, the most horrible house of the memories that I have is uh, living in a condo or not a condo, but a townhouse. Down a townhouse in El Monte. I believe it was in El Monte. Um, it was a row of townhouses. And uh, this townhouse was a two-story townhouse. And so uh, the most horrible uh, memory that I have that haunts me to this day is, uh, you know, the bottom of the townhouse was completely dark. You couldn't see nothing. And uh, the stairs came off of the entrance of the house to the front door and it it came up three or four, it came up like five steps and then it was a landing and then it went 90 degrees to the left and that the full stairs up to the second story. And so I remember being at the bottom on the landing and holding my baby sister, uh, my sister, my middle sister, my youngest sister wasn't born yet. My middle sister was still a baby. And I remember holding her and um, she was crying and I was trying to get her to stop crying. And, uh, the bottom of the house was completely dark and I was like paralyzed with fear but I was still trying to protect my sister and we I was sitting there rocking her back and forth and the bottom of the house was completely dark you couldn't see nothing but when you looked at the top of the stairway the stairway was 
the light at the top of the stairway was on and the master bedroom was to the left when you went up the stairway. And these horrendous sounds coming out of the master bedroom is what paralyzed me. And I don't know if that's what caused my sister to start crying or not, but these sounds of a woman getting beat to death. Well, not literally getting beat to death, but figuratively getting beat to death. She was getting tossed around the room, and you could hear the thuds of a full-grown person hitting the walls or hitting the floor or getting whipped with a belt or getting thrown up against something. And this uh, man that was doing it was my stepfather. Uh, I know, I remember uh, some of those times me being in that room and getting my ass handed to me, you know, but and, and at that time, I must have been maybe four years old. I know my sister was born and uh, yeah, I was like uh, four years old getting tossed around a room and having uh, brushes and items broken across my head. Uh, and so I endured physical abuse from that man. But that house, uh, I remember in that two-story uh, townhouse, uh, I was trying to be outside as much as possible, and I, w I met this kid, and I remember his name was Anthony, because uh, he was, I guess, one of uh, the better ki kids that, hung, that I hung around with there in the townhouse, and he, we spent some time outside playing together, and uh, that's what made that situation a little better. But the... The second house that I remember was in El Monte, but it was um, behind uh, another house. Uh, so you, would, this house was by the street, uh, and you would go down this long driveway. Uh, if you were looking at the driveway, the house was on the right, and the long driveway was on the left side of the house, and it would go straight to the garage. Of the second house on the back of the property. Um, in between the two houses was this huge tree with this canopy that was massive. It just completely blocked out the sun on this, the front, uh, front area, uh, the, you know, the front yard of the second house. And <clears throat> I remember that uh, I had a little bit of better time over there. Um, I remember. Uh, doing some helping out, uh, trying to paint, I guess, paint a room or something, and uh, being so covered with paint that I would have to, the, the stepfather would uh, set up this uh, baby pool. Uh, and I, I'm sure it wasn't just straight thinner, but it, it, it must have had thinner or I had a rag with thinner. I remember there was thinner and I was in this baby pool or this, you know, child pool, and uh, trying to clean all this paint off of me. Uh, yeah, and so from, you know, early age, I was always taught to uh, be helpful or to 
um, to do home improvements or whatever. And so uh, since, you know, I didn't want to be around uh, that man and I was trying to play outside as much. So I was always in that tree in the front yard or in the backyard. I remember there was a, a separate tree and one of the limbs or something had fallen or maybe it was the whole tree itself and it had uh, fallen off or broke down or whatever but it was leaning up against the house so it created this like cave that you could kind of go into and you know hide in and obviously I was in there playing in between there and trying to you know uh, you know I was just playing different stuff like uh, forts or caves or whatever um and I would climb up to the roof, and uh, I would jump off the roof and land in the brush of this tree, fallen tree. And I did that so much that uh, one time I f jumped off and landed. And when I landed, my head came down so hard that it hit my knee, and I gave myself a black eye. Yeah, I remember that. So I stopped jumping off the roof. <laughs> And eventually they, they uh, took down that uh, tree branch and took my little fort away. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, different areas of the house I would play in. Uh, I believed we had company one time where uh, we, my stepsister and I, uh, we grew up together. And so she was my sister, uh, Claudia. And um, we... Uh, we're sleeping in the living room, and we were supposed to be asleep, but we were watching TV, late-night TV. And uh, this is where I f saw my first porno. <laughs> and I still remember it. Uh, this uh, bleach blonde, dumb bimbo, and uh, yeah, it was a porno. And so <clears throat> uh, we uh, remember being in this house, and... Uh, this is where I had my first cigarette. Uh, my mom used to smoke. And uh, I remember taking one from her purse and going into the bathroom and lighting it up and really not liking it. <laughs> so uh, I didn't do that for a long time. And then so uh, my, I don't, I think uh, my stepfather's family came down and they had a special needs kid. And uh, the special needs kid was like really, uh, he really needed help and he needed uh, people to look after him. And so we were asleep one day and he woke me up in the middle of the night. I remember this. I was really young at this time. Uh, it must have been five or six, I guess. And I was really young and uh, I, he woke me up and I was like uh, trying to figure out what, he was wanted from me and he showed me the bathroom and the bathroom the toilet was clogged up and just spilling over everything there was a bunch of toilet paper in the in the toilet and it was just spilling all over the place and, and so he was kind of uh really worried about what was going to happen because he was he was scared and so me I knowing the kind of shit that I was going to get, I was scared for him too. So I kind of tried to put him, 
put them to sleep or just sit them down somewhere. I don't remember what I did with them, but I was trying to clean up this mess and I had the mop and I was trying to clean up the water and I looked up at the, the entrance and I could see my stepfather there and I was so scared. I was like, oh my God, I'm about to catch a whooping, about to catch my ass. And so he asked me what was going on and I told him, well, this happened and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, just clean it up. Like, oh God, thank you. Thank you for not whooping my ass. But, you know, we, uh, I got through that. And uh, I remember that my mom, uh, sometime later, I guess, uh, didn't, uh, got away from him. And so we, I don't know how it ended up being, but we ended up living with uh, a woman. And my mom uh, started a relationship with this woman. And so we lived at the house. And it was another house that was behind a front house. But this was in different part of El Monte. Uh, mostly Mexicans around the neighborhood, I guess. Uh, but it was just down the street from my elementary school. And uh, I remember uh, having to walk to my elementary school. But, like, my mom would give me that responsibility of making sure that I went to school on time. But, you know, I'm little kids. So I'm always watching TV. And I always went to school late and... One day that I was watching TV, I figured out, oh, my God, I was supposed to be at school. And so I try to run out the door and I poke my eye with uh, the, the screen door handle. And it didn't do very much damage, but it just poked my eye out. Nah, I think my mom came home and went to the doctor or whatever, but she was like, you're... <laughs> she was a little uh, pissed off that that, that happened, but... Um, yeah, so I, after living there for a little while, um, I went to live with my dad, but my dad didn't have, he was alone at that time, and uh, he didn't have any way for to take care of me, and um, take care of me, and, uh, and work at the same time. So he would work, this was a house on Lincoln we all lived in, I remember my uncles living there and my my dad um, and my grandma and so my grandpa Walter. And so we lived there for a while and then everybody moved out and had into a separate house. And so um, I remember my dad getting married and uh, once he got married, um, they moved into an apartment. And then, um, and so I lived in, in this apartment, but before that, uh, I lived with my grandma and, and everybody and, uh, that was good times. Uh, my grandpa Walter, now my biological grandpa, but my stepfather, my step grandpa, uh, who raised me. So I call him my grandfather, Walter. And, um, he was a great man, a veteran, uh, from the Korean war, uh, army veteran. And uh, I think that I was the about one of the only ones that uh, he was talked to about his 
what he saw and uh, the stuff that he had to endure. But uh, that was later on in life. Um, so when I moved out, we I did, my dad got married and we moved out and uh, we moved into an apartment. And I didn't get along with his wife and son, Raul, um, my stepbrother. But those times at the apartment were kind of rough. And uh, once again, I don't have very fond memories of being there. Um, had a lot of arguments, and uh, so I was made to go live with my grandmother. And, uh, yeah, but uh, my, being at my grandma's house, you know, typical Mexican grandmother, or typical Mexican family, we, you know, loud, uh, <laughs> not obnoxious, but, you know, just loud, and, you know, everybody yelled at each other, and, uh, but it was, it was not a, one of those types of families where, you know, you, you felt scared, but you know, you just felt like, yeah, we, we got along. We, we, um, just made do with what we had. And, um, I remember my cousins living really close by. And so I would go play with them and, um, I had a lot of fun memories with my uh, cousins, uh, especially Vivi and uh, Jaime and uh, Jimmy. And so we we kind of grew up like brothers and sisters. Not, you know, I didn't have my brothers and sisters with me like any normal person, but I grew up with my cousins Jimmy and Vivi. They were my brother and sister. And so we grew up close. But after a time, um, I, I remember going to the elementary school for a short time, and, uh, and they moved out. But uh, after going through elementary school and then going to junior high, um, the junior high that we lived, or the neighborhood that we lived in was in a very good neighborhood. And so everybody was trying to keep me from hanging around gang members and um, keep me from being uh, just part of the neighborhood. Uh, I remember that I couldn't, I had a lot of restrictions on me and I couldn't dress myself and I couldn't have the haircut that I wanted and I couldn't uh, go to people's houses. Uh, they were only allowed me to go to one person's house and that was my f best friend, Angel Gillian. And he, uh, was helped me get through a lot. Um, I remember just going to his house and he was funny. He was a funny guy and uh, yeah, and so he was, he helped me get through a lot of hard times. But um, getting into uh, junior high, uh, I remember having a different friend uh, and that friend was uh, Jacob Flores. And that friend was, uh, he was, his family was Mormon. His dad was, uh, his parents, one was Mexican, one was white, but they were Mormons. And so I remember taking a trip up, or, up to uh, Salt Lake City in Utah, up to the Tabernacle. And I went to do that 
and I went to one of their services up there. Um, they weren't trying to get me involved in the Mormons, but they just took me to one of their churches or one of their services up there. And I remember it was hours long and we dressed nice and blah, blah, blah. But it was a good time up there. It was nice. Utah had snow on the ground and everything was, you know, the evergreens are still green and nothing looked like a desert. And it was, it was nice neighborhoods up there, you know. I remember taking that trip. But in junior high, the junior high that I went to was uh, a lot of uh, not so nice people and everybody's emotionals and hormones raging and, you know, people attacking people and the Mexicans were huddled together and the blacks were all separated from everybody else and the whites were all, you know, jocks and doing whatever. But uh, we, uh, yeah, we had to fight, defend ourselves. Uh, even in elementary school, and my family's still around, they, my cousins, we, when we went to elementary school, we still had to do all that. We learned how to defend ourselves. And I got my ass whooped a few times when I was by myself or whatever, but, you know, still, we learned how to get through. So in junior high, I remember that uh, my grandfather, Walter, was a janitor at high school. And it was uh, not not too far down the road, uh, so every he asked me every Friday to go over to the to the high school and help him finish up his his duties. And uh, yeah, so every Friday I would go over there and I would help him do what it needed to be done. And so we would get done with what we needed to do, and I was you know, working hard for him and doing whatever. And he would, you know, we would finish off the rest of the night, just sit there talking with him, his his friend, and me. And we would drink and eat food and drink beers, and, you know, and just sit there and bullshit all night long. Yeah, I remember that. And that me being in uh, junior high, I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> No, but it was, I've heard, I, I heard horrible things. Uh, they're horrible memories. I heard they're, you know, great things. I heard these two guys just talk it up and chop it up. And yeah. And so uh, once I got over that uh, and I got through elementary or junior high, um, went into high school there in Riverside, my first year of high school. And um, I remember that uh, being in high school and being on the wrestling team, and I loved wrestling. I loved uh, because I, my, you know, the high school that I was at, my family, all my uncles and stuff had this heritage there at the house, at the, uh, at the high school. And I remember that all the coaches and teachers and stuff knew who my family was and they knew, you know, uh, and all the older gang members that, that went to the school, they were, they knew my family members and they knew not to try to get me to join them. But, you know, they, they didn't mess with me and because of all my uncles and stuff, but uh, yeah, I was on the wrestling team and I had some great friends there and, uh, but I still had all the restrictions of not being able to go to different places, not being able to ha have my own haircut. And, 
And so uh, after finishing ninth grade, I, um, I got to move with my family members out in Marina Valley. And so I moved away from my grandparent, my grandma, grandpa, and I moved into my uncle's house. And uh, that's when I started hanging out with all my cousins or with my cousins again. You know, the same cousins, Jimmy and Vivi, that I grew up with as a child, I started hanging around with again in in high school. Uh, in my 10th grade year, before my 10th grade year, it was uh, that summer before then. And then, you know, throughout uh, my whole high school after that, it was awesome. I had awesome times. That's Those are the memories that, you know, I really cherish because those... Um, you know, finding myself and having my family there and being able to depend on them and I help them out whenever they can. And they got me into trouble and I got them into trouble. And it's just, uh, we played football on the street and we lived in cul-de-sacs. So we didn't worry about cars too all, too much and nobody came into our neighborhood or bug us. And it was, it was kind of a middle-class neighborhood and th- there wasn't any gangs around. There was... And back then, when I was going through high school, it was all about the party crew. There wasn't gang members out there. There was all about the party crew. Which party crew were you part of? Or which crew, you know, who were you? Uh, I remember in, uh, in high school, during lunchtime, they had a DJ. They would have a DJ during lunchtime. And everybody would just, they would play uh underground house music and people were dancing just kind of battling each other and just doing all kinds of stuff and I would back up my homies I never knew how to dance that good but my homies did and we were just you know just there for each other and uh it was it was cool uh I got into a little trouble in high school but it wasn't bad uh I wrestled in a little bit in high school again um but you know I I had to get a job uh, and I got a job and I remember I was working, but during those high school, uh, I remember that my older cousins, they took me under their wing. Uh, they were at least six years older than I was. And so they were going out and partying and going to house, house parties and they were going out to clubs and stuff like that. And I would go with them. I was in, I don't know, 10th, 11th grade of high school, and I was, uh, on the weekends, we would, one of the first clubs that I went to, and I will always remember this, is uh, uh, 21 and over K-Rock Night out in Hollywood. And I remember walking through the front door, and the song Closer was on, by Nine Inch Nails, it was on. And I remember looking out onto the dance floor, and... It was just packed full of beautiful people. And they were just raging out to the song and, and Nine Inch Nails Closer. And that will forever be my favorite song. Um, this song is just people just jumping up and dancing, just craziness. And having a beer there at the bar, and I was just people looking at me and I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm drinking in a bar, whatever. <laughs> it was good. It was good times. I remember going to different clubs like that with my, my cousins and I loved it. And, uh, 
especially going to house parties and uh, they were always looking after me and we were just just crazy um yeah that was my high school and uh, after i got out of high school i had it in my mind that um i wanted to join the military and so I knew I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. It was either going to be the Marine Corps or the the Coast Guard. Uh, so uh, I, uh, after high school, my uncle convinced me to work for this couple that he knew and that he worked for. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. I'll just take a job real quick. And so after high school, I joined up with this elderly couple and they had a 65-foot sailboat it was catch it was cutter rigged and so the sailboat was too much for this elderly couple and so they needed a deckhand to do the trip that they've always wanted and so on this 65 foot catch named the spirit of sydney uh, we went down to mexico for six and a half months and it was an awesome time 18-year-old, fresh out of high school, learning how to be a deckhand, learning how to be, uh, learning about direction, about, uh, uh, I didn't really learn how to uh, uh, navigation through the stars and stuff, but um, they had all that equipment, but uh, I remember being taken the late night and uh just being on the helm in the middle of the night, just taking the sailboat out to the ocean so we can zigzag back and forth so we can get to our destination. And yeah, we went through some storms. Uh, <laughs> one of the storms that I remember, uh, it was, you know, being on a sailboat and you get into a storm, you can't have all your sails down. You got to have one sail up so that you can stay upright and it'll keep you uh, going in one direction and you can have some control of the sailboat. So uh, this this sail that we had, uh, it uh, was tearing. And so I had to go out in the middle of the storm. Uh, these were, I don't know, 20, 25 foot waves that were out there, and so I had to sit at the bow, and I had to uh, use this uh, a sewing needle and this thread. Obviously, it was for sails, uh, so it was a big sewing needle, and it was really coarse thread. And so I had to go up there, and I had to sew this sail. But my legs were dangling over. The, I was facing the front, and my legs were dangling over the bow, and these waves would just come smash over the top of me. Push. It was, it was, it was, I had, to me, it was good times. I loved it. I, I love that experience. Uh, there's nothing in the world that will ever teach you how to, how to really go through some hard times until you go through something like that. These, these waves were just massive and we were just trying to keep upright and trying to stay alive. And it was, it was craziness. Um, another time I remember coming, it was a beautiful day, right? The sun was out, there wasn't any clouds and, um, we were going around this small island of somewhere and, uh, we were, since we were going around this island that had really tall cliffs, uh, you could feel that there was, uh, a 
wind that was coming around this island, and we were trying to catch that wind, right? And so we had all the full sails up, and and this this sailboat was like tweaked and right in tune and just going on uh, maximum knots per uh, nautical miles per hour, and it was just like at a forty-five degree angle and just sitting there watching this sailboat just glide through the water, just beautiful just just going through and just just enjoying yourself i remember sitting on the 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 side of the boat at that time and the the boat had uh, the from the water line to the top of the rail it was a good six feet but when i when i was sitting there on the deck on the side and being able to reach out and touch the water. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. And so we were just uh, floating through there. And so we did six and a half months down in Mexico, going to uh, Cabo San Lucas, Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, all the way down to Acapulco and hitting every port in between, you know, one night here, one night there, and spending a couple nights here. And I remember one time uh, when we were near. Uh, we had uh, near Puerto or uh, not Puerto Vallarta, but near Mazatlan, and I had told my grandmother that I was going to be be near there, and she told me that she wanted me to go visit my uncle, uh, my grandmother's brother, and he lived in uh, the town that my grandmother came from, and uh, the town was Valle Verde, Nayarit, and so I I told. Uh, I took a week off from the sailboat and I went to go visit my family down there, my dad's cousins and uh, my great uncle. And it was, it was awesome place. It was really small town and everybody knew each other. And I was just 18 years old and my cousins were, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. And they would take me to all their favorite water spots and they would take me here and there. And they would ask me about America and I would ask them about Mexico. And uh, it was, I, I loved it. That, that week uh, it was awesome for me. I, I enjoyed myself there and I remember those times. <sighs> and I, you know, I remember, um, Having to go back to the boat, like, yeah, I, you know, I, I just had a great time in Mexico. And so I lived on the boat for, when we went back to San Diego, uh, you can't just go straight to San Diego from Cabo San Lucas because the water comes down from Alaska. And so the currents from Alaska carry you down and you got to go north. So you got to go out. You have to go uh halfway to Hawaii and come back and zigzag and do this and that, right? So I remember doing that, and when we got back to San Diego, I lived on the boat again, or I lived on the boat for a while. Uh, it was a full year where I lived on the boat. And then I, you know, I was about to get ready. You know, I got off the living on the boat, and I was getting ready to try to go into the Marine Corps, and I got my DUI. And so having to delay everything and having to fix everything for my DUI, I, uh, after the fact, I just, uh, I was, you know, going to nightclubs and going here and there and just doing all kinds of places. And, you know, I, I was a typical teenager, uh, wanting to 
uh, do everything. And uh, I was, you know, working graveyard shift. And at one point in time, I had two eight-hour jobs. And I still didn't save any money. I was just, just going buck wild. And I was tired all the time. I was like, you know what? This isn't right. So I kind of got my act together and I got into the Marine Corps. Uh, at the age of just under 20, I would turn 21 in boot camp. And at that age, uh, you know, uh, so I got into boot camp and uh, all that structure and everybody getting together. And yeah, we, we had arguments, but you know, boot camp isn't uh, the place where you needed to argue with people. <laughs> so, um, Got straightened out, got, you know, uh, learned how to be a Marine, uh, and I earned my EGA. And I remember uh, coming back, uh, going to, uh, well, before that, uh, I remember when uh, I was talking to my recruiter before I went to boot camp, and I didn't really uh, have a job because I wanted to be a heavy equipment uh, mechanic. And that wasn't open for uh, anybody to come into. And my recruiter was telling me, you know what, just go and open contract. You have a very high um, mechanical skills on your ASVAB. You know, your GT score is like 112. So you you had to have done really good. So they'll give you something mechanical. I'm like, all right, you know, I trusted him and. So when I went into boot camp, I went in open contract on a four-year contract. And so all throughout boot camp, everybody kept teasing me that I was going to become a cook. I was going to become a janitor. And I was going to be just I have a horrible time in the Marine Corps. But uh, after I graduated in Marine Corps and I went to MCT, they were like right at the beginning, they were having their induction. And they, you know, they had their... They, they were trying to tell us about what was going to go on. And, you know, they asked us, you know, so who wants to be infantry? And, you know, going to the SOI is different from going to MCT. And so when I joined them, when I, when I, when they asked that, I put my name down. I told them, you know what? I don't want to be a cook. I don't want to be a janitor. I want to be infantry. And I put my name down. And lo and behold, that was just some ploy to see who was the hardest or whatever, who had heart and who wanted to be a, what they called a real Marine or whatever. Uh, but when I was in MCT, I found out that my MOS, my job was going to be a 6112, a CH-46 uh, mechanic. And, you know, I asked them, what's the CH-46? And they were like, they looked up in the sky and they looked around. They're like, oh, you see the helicopter over there with the tandem rotors? Yeah, that's what you're going to be fixing. Yeah, thanks for the ride. <laughs> and so um, uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I remember after graduating MCT, uh, my school, the only school they had for mechanics, uh, was in uh, NEA, or MCAS, uh, New River. And uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, or Jacksonville, North Carolina. And so we went there, and uh, when I was in boot camp, I met this guy named uh, Nisi. And uh, we were in the same platoon together, and we went to MCT together. We went to school together there at uh, in uh, North Carolina, and uh, we were 
we were good friends. He was from Missouri, <laughs> from the boot hill of Missouri, as he would say. Um, and uh, I had great times with him, uh, even through school and stuff like that. And while we were in school, it was a month of uh, not doing anything and then two months of school. Uh, while we were in school, they asked us for our choices of where to go. I told them, you know, California, California, and California. And they were, uh, once we graduated school, uh, they gave me the choice of either going to uh, Okinawa, Japan, or going to Okinawa, Japan. <laughs> so uh, my friend Nisi and I, uh, we both uh, got stationed together. And so we were going to both, uh, we both went to Okinawa together. But right before we, uh, like the weekend before I graduated, I got into a little bit of trouble because I went to go pick him up. He was at a strip club and I had a few drinks before going, uh, before picking him up. He called me and told me, hey, you know, I need a ride. So I went to go pick him up after having a few drinks. And uh, I had another few drinks there at the bar. And then when I came back, uh, the gate guard said he smelled alcohol and he gave me a breathalyzer and I was a point zero seven. So I was like, oh, so I'm good. He was like, nope. Uh, the rules on base are twice as strong or twice as stringent as the rules uh, off base. And so the rules off base are point zero eight and the rules on base are point zero four. Uh, so I did uh, 20 days of CCU. A correctional custody unit where I had to learn how to break rocks and uh, be restructure my mind to be a real Marine again. Uh, that's what they told me. And so after I did uh, 20 days of my CCU, I went home for 10 days. And uh, that's where I met up with an old girlfriend. And uh, that's where we conceived my son, Joseph Romo. And then I got stationed on Okinawa. So uh yeah so i went out to okinawa and within uh the two days of getting there my friend nisi and i we were just fresh out of out of school we got there for two days and we were told not to unpack our stuff because we were going on a ship and so we were doing the mew workups uh we were uh, gonna go out to Korea. We went out to Korea on the USS Bellawood, and we did a week there where we did uh, Cobra Gold. And uh, after doing that for like a week, uh, we were gonna we're on our way back, or we were on our way to Hong Kong to go do uh, exercises, the new workups with Hong Kong, and they called us back to Okinawa. So we went back to Okinawa. Uh, we resupplied and we uh, took off again on the USS Bellawood and the whole Mew went out to uh, Kuwait. And that was back in 98. That was October, early November of 98. So we were sitting off the coast of Kuwait for like, I don't know, however many months we were out there. And that's where I learned how to live on a boat, to live on a ship. Uh, the USS Bellawood. Uh, I worked graveyard shift a lot because I was a mechanic and they did uh, flight operations during the day. And um, I remember uh, one Christmas day, 
well, that Christmas right there, the Christmas of 98, uh, that they had to, they were going to try to do a holiday schedule, but they had to have an emergency flight and that that emergency flight was to go and uh, pick up uh, some special operations people because they got compromised. <laughs> and then so we went to go pick up, they, the flight crew went to go pick them up and came back. And I remember being part of that, um, you know, sending the aircraft off and recovering the aircraft and stuff like that. Uh, you know, tying the aircraft down during the holiday, whatever. 12 on, 12 off. Um, on Sundays, we would only work six hours. <laughs> uh, but that was the day we, we washed all the aircraft. Uh, yeah, and so uh, I enjoyed that time out there because, you know, you, you look up at the stars that at night. <sighs> and from, from Okinawa on the way to... Kuwait, you would stand outside on the flight deck and just, just stare at all the beautiful stars at night, and you'd get to see all the constellations, and you get to see, you know, during the day you would see all the the sea life, and you get to see the different waters and whose water was polluted, and uh, going through uh, near um, was Singapore and. Uh, going up to Kuwait and doing all that stuff. And on the way back from Kuwait, uh, we stopped in Phuket, Thailand. And in Phuket, Thailand, they gave us four days of limo. And uh, so we we did our four days. Uh, they told us, yeah, just come back in four days and uh, don't be dead and don't miss the ship. <laughs> so we uh, had an, an awesome time out in uh, Phuket, Thailand. And I remember it was be it was in some uh, half moon bay. Uh, somebody called it or whatever it was, and I don't remember what part of Phuket it was. But I look for it now, and I can't find it for the life of me. But uh, yeah, Phuket, Thailand was an awesome place, and so we uh, we went back to Okinawa, and uh, we started our life there. And I loved my. My squadron, my squadron was the HMM uh, 265, the Dragons, and uh, we had an awesome time there. So much so that uh, uh, I stayed for another year because uh, I wanted to get, still see the world and still get to do all kinds of things. And, you know, um, I wasn't in a great relation. I wasn't even in a relationship. I wasn't even having a great time or having a good time or with, uh, my son's mother. I didn't get along with her and, you know, we just made it happen or made it do whatever. Uh, but I stayed out there for two years, Okinawa, Japan. And, you know, during that time, like I said, after the Philippines, I remember going down to Indonesia, uh, where I became a shellback. Um, we went through all that. And uh, after Indonesia, we went to the Philippines and they gave us another time period where they said, okay, just come be back in a certain amount of time. Uh, don't be dead. <laughs> and before they, sh you know, before they let you off a of libel on this country that you're about to go to, they always give you the safety briefings 
on a the gangs in the neighbor or the gangs of the area they always gave you the warlords or whatever and they talked about all the stds and telling you about black syphilis and it was <laughs> kind of crazy so i did that and uh we went out to the philippines after indonesia we went to the philippines and the philippines was an awesome place i don't think that uh the waterfront hotel there in the Philippines will ever let us rent out the presidential suite anymore because <laughs> uh, we were kind of went buck wild on that place. Uh, we didn't, I don't think we tore it down. We just, a lot of noise complaints. <laughs> it was a good time there. Uh, got back on the ship and we went back to Okinawa and, uh, after that, I remember that there was this aircraft that was coming overseas, crossing the Pacific on the USS Essex, and we had to. Uh, they sent we they sent a small detachment out to meet the Essex on Guam and to get the aircraft ready so that we could fly it off of the USS Essex before it got to Okinawa. So. Uh, we did that. We went out to Hong Kong for three days. Awesome time. Uh, just loved it out there. Just great food, great people. You know, went to different areas. And then we went to three days on uh, Guam before we met the ship. And then that was an awesome time. I was with awesome people. Uh, just craziness. <laughs> I remember... Uh, what was it? Uh, Staff Sergeant Nueska and Staff Sergeant Gabby. Uh, they showed me an awesome time. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we were, we got to get on the Essex, and that was the first time that I ever, we ever encountered women on a ship. I'm like, what the hell? Women on a ship? <laughs> it's not that we looked down upon it, we just weren't used to it. Uh, so we got the aircraft off and uh, we got to Okinawa and then it came time to either make that decision of staying another year or uh, leaving. And I told him, you know, I think it's time for me to go back to California. And so uh, I went back to California and, and so I, t I made the decision to go back to California. And so they told me, okay, so we're going to send you out to WTI and from WTI, we will just send you your next squadron from there. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. Needless to say that I didn't know that they were going to send me from Okinawa, Japan to Yuma, Arizona in a C-130. <laughs> so uh, from Okinawa, Japan, we went to an atoll in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called Kwajalein. And on Kwajalein, there's an airstrip, and then there's a bar. <laughs> so we spent the first night uh, on Kwajalein, and we drank there and got back to the aircraft, drunk as hell, and uh, flew from Kwajalein to Hawaii. And then when we made it to Hawaii, uh, I remember uh, we went out that night and just got drunk and got back to the aircraft that morning and we were drunk and uh, from Hawaii we made it out to Yuma, Arizona and so 
uh, the every time we got on a flight, uh, I got off of you know you, they would give you these little small seats to sit in, but I didn't want to sit there. I would get up in the you know once we were at cruising altitude, I would get up and I'd lay on top of the pallets in the back and just rack out, just <laughs> sleep there on, on top of the pallets, top of all the equipment. <laughs> That's what we did. It was good times. And so I made it out to you in Arizona. We were there for like a month and uh, it was hot. I remember it was hot and uh, had a great time with all of them. everybody from the Marine Corps and uh, doing all the exercises. I remember getting sunburned and having a great time out there. And from Yuma, Arizona, I got shipped off to my next unit, which was uh, HMM. Uh, 364, which was the Purple Foxes. Uh, they were an awesome squadron. Uh, I, I cannot say how lucky I am to have been in the Marine Corps in those two great units and how, how they took care of me and uh, took me in and showed me everything. And I, I really had a great time in the Marine Corps. Uh, but in 2002, when I was supposed to get out, I got injured uh, in an accident. And so my accident, uh, I uh, was going to get out, but they uh, they had me on a medical hold for a year and a half. And so during that year and a half, you know, I was recovering and still going to work and trying to do what I can. And um, But before that, I was starting to, I was starting to fly and I earned my wings and then I get injured. <laughs> uh, I, I earned my AO wings. And so, um, and then I got injured and so I couldn't fly anymore because I was on medical hold and I was still running the shop, the fly line shop and I worked with all kinds of great people there. Uh, and I tried to, I wanted to re-enlist in the Marine Corps, uh, but there was nothing for me to re-enlist to. You know, they gave me two options. They were either go infantry or go logistics. And from aviation, you don't go to infantry. It's just not going to happen. And so I was told myself, you know what, I'm just going to try my luck, uh, go on to the civilian world, and we'll see what happens from there. And so I was on six months of unemployment, and during that time, I was just doing nothing. <laughs> I was trying to find a job, trying not to do anything. I could tell you uh, the exact schedule of the TV and show you what uh, program was on at such and such time and doing this and doing that, <laughs> whatever. Um, and at that time, uh, I, was, I had taken a trip down to Mexico with a friend, and they had a friend that went with them, and they told me about the Bureau of Prisons. And so I applied, but didn't think anything of it. And so during that time of six months of unemployment, I, that's when I met my future wife, or my wife now. Um, and so I got the job at the Bureau of Prisons, and um, so I was a correctional officer in, in MDCLA. Uh, Metropolitan Detention Center, Los Angeles. And so I did two years out there, and that's when um, 
I got real serious with my wife or my girlfriend at the time and uh, asked her to marry me. And so we wanted to buy a house. Uh, and so <clears throat> on the house that we bought, uh, I couldn't afford anything in uh, uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles County. Um, even in Fontana where, you know, we were trying to live at, uh, couldn't afford anything out there. So I looked out and where I could transfer. So I, I knew I could transfer to FCC Victorville and I told her, let's buy a house out there. So we bought a house and I transferred out to FCC Victorville and I lived in that house for five years, but she was still working in, in Whittier. So we would never see each other. You know, we, we created this life where we would only see each other on the weekends and we had, during those five years that we lived there, we had two kids and I would only see them on the weekends. And it wasn't sometimes for much time. Um, but yeah, you know, I, um, so we lived, uh, we, we let that house go in like 2011. Um, and we moved back down to Highland where we could be closer to each other. But in Highland, you know, I was commuting up to Victorville, and uh, she was commuting to Whittier, and uh, we were living our life there. And uh, she was telling me that I was, as a correctional officer, I wasn't a very nice person. And so I had always, throughout my whole career as a in the Bureau of Prisons, I was always telling everybody, I'm going to get out of this place. I was getting out of this place. And everybody would tell me, you know, if you don't get out within the first three years, you're never going to out. And I could see why, because the overtime and uh, the amount of money you made doing all that, it um, it it kind of had a, a hold on you. And so I was making with the not a base salary. I wasn't very good, but uh, with all the overtime, I was making enough to get by. And so um, my wife finally convinced me to go back to school. And so I started to go back to the school to get a, a degree. It was just a general degree, whatever whatever it was going to be. Um, I started going to DeVry, uh, but my wife wanted to go back to school also. So she started to go to Chafee Community College in, in Rancho Cucamonga. And she saw this aviation program that they had up there. And so she told me about it. And so I went and looked up, and I, I enrolled into that aviation program at Chafee. And uh, it was a two-year program where you had to go for seven hours a day. And so I went there for seven hours a day, and then I would go to work for eight hours a day. And so I was home for very, you know, sleeping three, four hours a night and carrying all of my food for the day with me. Um stick it in the fridge at Chafee and then leave for work and taking my food with me. And it was, it was, it was just one of those things where I just, um, <laughs> I was on a crotch rocket. So I had to, uh, I would get by and, uh, beat all the traffic, the lane splitting and doing all that stuff. And so I did my two years and graduated in 2000, graduated that program in 2016 and when I graduated I put in for a job for uh, Fleet Readiness Center uh, Southwest and Fleet Readiness and FRC uh, Southwest uh, they were down on Coronado 
So I got the job as a mechanic uh, working on the 60 program, uh, H-60s. Uh, uh, they were Greyhawks for the Navy. And uh, I started to work down there for two years, and uh, there was a little bit of overtime. It wasn't uh, too much, but uh, I did take a big, huge pay cut. It, it, it was transferred because going from one federal agency to another, it was it was a transfer. Uh, but I took a pay cut, and I didn't I didn't mind it because I was uh, I was back in aviation, and uh, I wanted to. I remember that uh, excelling, and because I'm a really mechanical guy, uh, excelling at what I was doing and helping out the work lead and uh, stepping into her place. And then I started doing safety, and I was doing the safety thing for while I was a, a mechanic uh, doing my mechanic job. I was doing safety stuff, safety programs uh, as a collateral duty, and then. Uh, after doing that for like two years, or during those two years that I was there in Southwest uh, NAS Coronado, or NAS North Island, which is on the island of Coronado, uh, I remember telling my wife, you know, when I can't live in Highland and uh, work on Coronado. It's just not going to work. We're, we're too far apart. I'm, I never see you guys. I will only see them like... Uh, maybe 36 hours on the weekend, but that's about it. Uh, then having to, uh, you know, sleep in at people's couches or or sleep in uh, my sister's house and my my niece's in my niece's room or whatever. Um, it, it it's not a something that can be sustained. It's just a temporary thing. So I remember telling my wife, you know, we can't afford anything down here in San Diego. We need to, I need to try to get a transfer out to uh, NES Lamore. And so I put in for a job here in NES Lamore. It was a promotion uh, to being a journeyman uh, here. And so I got it. And uh, once I transferred up here to NES Lamore, uh, moved to, I stayed in uh, with my mom into Larry. And, uh, or I stayed and tried to help my other sister out, um, there in, uh, she lived on base and was trying to help her out for a little bit for a couple months until, uh, we bought a house. And when we bought the house, um, uh, we waited for the kids to finish off their school year and we moved the family up here. And so this is where we've been up here in Acelia. And I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing that, you know, <clears throat> moving from Southern California up here to the Central Valley is a big change. Um, and that big change for me has been very positive. I remember being up here and being at the grocery store and people looked at you with respect and they, they actually talked to you and they, it, it felt like this was a small town. Like people wanted to get to know you and people wanted to be positive with you. You know, down in Southern California, everybody's just trying to get to where they're going and they trying to step over you or trying to, you know, whatever, mad dogging you or whatever it was. There's, it's just, Vicelli is just completely different. And I, I 
I've grown to love this place. You know, I was always teasing my cousin who's lived up here, and he was, I always told him, oh, you live in Visalia? That's like cow country, isn't it? <laughs> you live next to cows or something? It's just one of those things where I just, <laughs> I, I always made fun of him, but uh, he was like, nah, it's a great place, and you can raise your family and do this and do that. And so now he has taught me all the ways of being up here in Visalia, and I'm very grateful to him. But, uh, you know, I work on uh, 40 miles from uh, from my house. Um, I'm doing well there at work. Uh, I am now a lead, which means I, I, I lead a, a group of, I don't know, 12, 13 people and, uh, we do maintenance on the F-18 program and, uh, just one of those things where I, I love being in aviation. I love being a mechanic. I love, you know, doing what I do and it's just an awesome time and being here with, uh, being able to live with my, uh, children and being able to live with my wife has been, uh, really i i really appreciate it and uh and for me being able to like build my wife a chicken coop in the backyard or being able to build my son an aquaponics setup in the backyard and just being able to do what needs to be done so that i can help them out in school and with their friends or building them a desk in their room or you know renovating the house and doing this and that it's just one of those things where it just keeps me sane uh, you know, and throughout life, I've been, you know, really, you know, I would, we would, uh, like whenever I was out or whatever, I was, I'd look at people and just try to figure out, you know, what was going, well, what, what were they going through? How are, are they living their life and, uh, trying to see, what their their experience was and i've never stopped to ask them about that but uh, i think now this is what i'm gonna do uh i want to know and understand different people i want to grow as a person myself and the only way that i'm gonna do that is by communicating with different people and i i, I know and understand that uh, me and my wife don't have a perfect marriage because that doesn't exist we have our arguments and we have our differences and i, I always uh, i always tease her and tell her that she came from the upper class and i came from the ghettos and uh, it's kind of true and that's how we were just completely opposites and sometimes we just get really mad at each other and sometimes we just love each other to death and I'm married to a Mexican woman, so it's going to be to death. <laughs> so we're either going to kill each other or grow old together, and it's just when it's going to be one of those things. And you know, we've had heated arguments where the our sons have uh, seen us go through some hard times, and I never want to see their faces uh, whenever they see us like that. I never want to want that for them, but. Uh, and uh, I always want to protect them from uh, the stuff that I've went through and uh, to for them not to have such a hard time like I did. And, uh, you know, listening to different podcasts, you know, I've, one of the podcasts that I listen to is the JRE experience, the Joe Rogan experience. And um, 
you know, he, t- he talks about a lot about his friends, his comedic friends, and saying that uh, all of his uh, comedians or his friends that are comedians, they they are all fucked up and they they all come from hard times and that's how they they get to uh, you know all their hard experiences get them to be you know characters and great people and <laughs> he keeps saying that you know if i you know try to shelter my kids from all these hard times, am I keeping them from being great people? <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think it works that way. But uh, that's one of the questions that runs through my mind. Um, I know my kids are going to be awesome people, and I know my kids are going to go through hard times. I just don't need to add to it, and that's all. It's you know the, that it is right now is I'm not going to add to my kids' hard times throughout their hard lives. I'm going to love them for who they are. My son Joseph, my son Louis, and my son Sebastian uh, are just going to be the love of my lives, and my wife is going to be the love of my life, and that's just what it is. Um, and you know, I've always, you know, growing up, you know, um, learning that I need to be part of the community and. You know, growing up, I've always seen these, not not only Mexicans, but I've seen these whites, I've seen these blacks, I've seen these Asians being machismo over their women, and I've seen women abused, literally, figuratively, mentally, emotionally abused by different people, not just from men, uh, just from dominating partners. Um, I've seen them just have such a horrendous time and I think um, I think since ever since I'd seen that that I've always tried to hold women up on a pedestal and they were you know uh, I've always tried to you know try to shelter them from pain and protect them or do whatever and uh, so you know my view of women is that they they are above men. Um, and I, I've never known how to really talk to women. I've never known how to manipulate them. And I've never known. I've always, always shy around women. And I think uh, just I just want them to be okay. And a man can go through whatever a man goes through. And he's going to be okay. Because I've done it. So I'll, that's not always true. <laughs> so I'm going to, I think... Um, I, I, I've been working on myself lately and working on my anger and working on my uh, whatever. And I know a lot of that has to do with uh, my wife trying to help me out. And she's got her issues, but um, we, we're we trying to help each other out, trying to live our lives. And I love my family. Uh, I want us to be to succeed in this life. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm not paying attention right or looking at just the negatives in this world, but I know a lot more people that have been divorced than than to try to make it in this lifetime with their partners. And, you know, I'm not saying that divorce is a bad thing. I'm just saying that there's a lot of times when, um, you know, nobody's perfect and everybody has their problems. 
whether you're dating this hot person or you're dating this uh, shut-in, everybody has their problems. The people who you want to spend the the rest of your life with is the ones that you have to learn how to or can can deal with their problems. Um, And that's just the way I think. Uh, I want to, I don't ever want to leave my life. I don't, I know I get angry, upset. And, and lately I've been trying to do uh, breathing exercises or just leave her alone for a little bit and then go try to talk to her or just sit there while she's uh, pissing me off. I'll sit there and I'll just think to myself, okay, if I was pissing her off, um, how would she, I want her to talk to me. Um, I would want her to say, hey, listen, we need to reset. Uh, we need to communicate. We need to do this. We need to do that. So I've been trying to do that. It, it hasn't been uh, very successful. But, you know, you like every alcoholic, you fall off the wagon and you get right back on. Um, and you try again. And then you try again. And then you try again. You know, that movie, uh, We Were Soldiers, the colonel in there, tells you three strikes and you're not you're not out after three strikes you just keep trying you keep trying you keep going you keep trying to bull bull your way through all of this uh, bullshit and and literally and figuratively and emotionally just be like a bull and go through that china cabinet um and i i i think that uh it's it's possible, you know. Um, I want my kids to have a family that they grew up with. They they do visit their their cousins and they do see, you know, different people. Um, my son Joseph didn't have that from me, and uh, I want him to be more successful at his relationship than I was. And so far. It looks like he and his wife, um, they have a little baby girl, and they're about to have another baby girl, and it seems to be like they're uh, they're getting through it and they're achieving their dreams. And I hope to, and I hope to God that they make it in this world because I want them to have a better life than I did. Um, I really love my sons, all of them. I love my family, and, you know, and as far as, like, I know people want to know my political stance on whatever, blah, 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 My political stance is I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran. That's my political stance. <laughs> I don't believe in helping people who, who want to, who don't want to be helped. I don't believe that we should let people uh, fail. I don't believe that uh, we can stand by and just let the problems of the world just go by us, Um, which is probably why I'm trying to better myself right now, because I want to understand what's going on. I know mental health is a huge, huge problem in this in the United States. And yes, I was lucky to be born in Los Angeles and I was lucky to be born to this family who has taught me a lot. Uh, 
my cousins would take me out and party at night. And then the next morning at six o'clock in the morning, my uncle would get me up and we would have to do chores, uh, fix the plumbing, do the yard, uh, change the oil in the cars. And we would do this and do that. My grandpa told me one time that, you know, if you're going to be hooting with the owls at night, you better be ready to soar with the eagles in the morning. <laughs> I love my grandpa. He told me some horrendous stories, but he also told me some great knowledge. And uh, my uncles, they raised me as their son. And uh, my dad is in our lives, and he's in my life now, and he's in my children's lives. And, uh, yeah, he was there sometimes, too. Uh, my mom, she's been there some uh, sometimes too my aunts raised me as their kid and i've just been a product of just bouncing around from household to household and it's just it, it was kind of weighing on me for a long time but now you know i'm like i said i have my family and i'm trying to make this relationship work and it's keeping me sane <laughs> it's keeping me uh doing what i do uh and I really, truly believe that uh, all the abuses, all the mental abuse, all the physical abuse, all the emotional abuse that I went through, not just from family members, but from ghetto-ass kids in the neighborhood or from wherever I was at, all the abuses, all the racism or whatever that I went through, um, if I wouldn't have endured all of that, I wouldn't be in this exact place. I wouldn't have this exact life. And I don't want any other life than what I have right now. I know I want my kids to have better lives, but I love my family. And if I were to have changed any one thing in my past, it could have changed where I'm at right now. And I, I could be more fucked up than I really am. Uh, I could be out there killing people out there with gangs. I could be doing something. And, you know, I don't want that. I want my experiences from my grandparents. I want my experiences from my aunts and my uncles. I want my experiences from my parents. I want that all to help me be a better person in my lifetime. And I think I'm finally getting to that point where I'm realizing how to take that. And I'm realizing that it's possible. I could possibly be a better, a better person. And yeah, I didn't like being a correctional officer. But I think that's also another place in time where I'd learned how to read people. I learned, you know, throughout my whole time, I was, I've been reading people in the Marine Corps. I've been reading people in the Bureau of Prisons, reading people in, in high school. I was reading people. Um, I just, and trying to pay attention to that and trying to see, you know, people's experiences and, and I'm trying to learn from them. Um, not everybody has positive things to say. So if I take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and take it with a grain of salt, I could learn something positive from it. Even if it is from a racist person and i'm not saying just white people because there are racist mexicans there are racist black people there are racist white people there are racist asians if i take any one of those experiences that i've had 
And I say, well, yeah, that's what I'm not going to do. Or this is what I'm not going to teach my kids. And my kids right now, they don't know about black, white, or they don't know about racism. They understand that that's in the news, but we don't have the news playing in our household. And we don't, uh, we don't have any of that. So they get to live in their own little worlds where they get to be their own person. They come up with their own personalities. Uh, they deal with their friends and their friends alone. And I know we're dealing with this COVID-19 uh, bit, but uh, my my kids are kind of excelling in uh, in their own little worlds. Uh, my son, Louis, is a tech, kind of a genius, but uh, I, he, he wanted his own computer, so he learned all the different parts of the computers and the motherboards and this and that and, you know, the different systems, uh, water-cooled systems or air-cooled and what's the best this and the hard drives, the difference between hard drives and SSDs and whatever. And he just, you can see the enthusiasm about what he's going through. And then my son, Sebastian, he's, oh, he loves animals and he loves uh, being with his mom and I think uh, his his uh, inf- infatuation with cooking and baking and stuff I think is really that time to be with his mom and, and, what, and what he wants to uh, help her and do things with her and he's always helping her out and he loves he, he loves me too but you know he he's kind of clingy with his mom but uh, that's uh, the thing I I think he's he's fine, um, you know. And so we live our lives here in the Central Valley, and uh, this is why I want to learn people because this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because uh, this is my guide to my social my psychopath. Uh, and if I get to know other people and I get to read their guide to their psychopath, uh, uh, maybe I'll learn something. Maybe everybody else would learn something from me. Maybe people understand me and why I make the decisions that I do. I, 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 think, uh, I think we can. We can make this uh, all about mental health. And uh, people can learn how to deal with the trouble sometimes that we're going through and learn how to take the positives out of this. Take some time for yourself and take some time to build your own whatever you're building. Uh, Like for me, uh, in my aquaponics, we did aquaponics last year. Uh, We had a fish tank. We did an IBC tote aquaponics where we had a fish tank on the bottom and we'd add a flower bed on top. And it did awesome. We loved it. Uh, so I expanded it. I'm trying to expand it right now. So right now, what it seems to me where uh, my aquaponics system is, it's going to be a decoupled uh, three flower bed aquaponics system where the the pond is going to be the full size IBC tote of 275 gallons, and the flower beds uh, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Um, I've I've got it more than halfway set up, uh, but right now it's the winter time, so it's really cold. And uh, the only problems that I'm seeing right now is that I need to warm up the water because it's cold outside. Uh, so I, 
uh, I either need to build a, a greenhouse or need to learn how to warm up the water. Um, and I've got some ideas, but, you know, growing up, uh, doing everything myself, uh, I think I can come up with some kind of system to do it. Uh, I really want to put a solar system out there to power all that stuff. And I think I can, but it's going to be one of those things where it just takes time to do it. Um, and I want to uh, make sure that my kids or my son, you know, he's into uh, my son, Sebastian. He he likes growing plants and stuff like that. So I want him to have that for himself. And uh, I think it really makes me proud to make sure that they have what they need. And so that is me. You take it as you will. And I I hope that you learn something from it or just learn how to understand me or whatever it is. Um, I want uh, everything. I want, I want to keep doing this. Um, but the first episode, this is episode one. It's going to be about me. And these next episodes after that is going to be about somebody else. And I'm going to learn from other people and I'm going to learn about their path. And, uh, we're going to get this done. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed the guide to your psychopath and I and I'll see you guys next time. Well, that's it for now. I want to be clear on something. No one person ever grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe we can learn from each other.